Let me read the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 60 from God's holy word. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Thus far we read in God's good and holy word, may he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey it. Amen. Amen. I am really thankful that in these dark winter days we can celebrate Christmas, the the great and grand holiday, not just culturally, but for believers, such a special time spiritually. And it falls in the darkest days on the calendar. I wonder, is that a coincidence? I think God's hand is in it. These are the darkest days. I checked uh, scientifically uh, using uh, Google. December uh, first comes the earliest sunset. That happens already in these first few days of December. The sun sets as early as it ever will in these days. So if, if I preach too long and we go out, it looks like the sun may have already set. The winter solstice comes on December 21st. That's the day with the fewest minutes of daylight. And then two weeks later in early January, we get the latest sunrise. But things are turning past December 21st, and days will brighten. And in the midst of that darkness, we find on our calendar, through the workings of history, a celebration of a birth, a celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, in the midst of the darkest season on our planet. I think the Lord is pleased to make those connections. And just to be clear, we're not here to talk about weather or the length of our dark days. Uh, We can get through that. We're uh, New Yorkers. We're here to speak about spiritual realities and spiritual darkness, which is not tied to the calendar. The spiritual darkness that still exists in the hearts and minds of those who are not right with God, even in the institutions of men that are set opposed to God, darkness prevails. And with that spiritual darkness, spiritual difficulties and pain and ignorance, lostness and loneliness. But Jesus came to break the spiritual darkness being himself the light of life. Jesus came to deliver us from darkness to bring us the light of life. Let's take a look at that. Jesus came to deliver. And calling Jesus a deliverer is fitting with all the prophecies that were made. The Psalm of David, Psalm 18, he himself had been delivered from the hand of his enemies, including Saul. Saul. Psalm 18, David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. It is appropriate to call God a deliverer. David knew that experience and we in the New Testament era, after seeing the coming of Christ, we know exactly how true it is. Jesus came to deliver. Today's topic, darkness, next week from death. It's our communion Sunday. That's very appropriate. The Sunday after that, we'll say Jesus came to deliver from the dominance of sin, to give us liberty in life and in this world. And finally, on the last Sunday, Jesus came to deliver from despair, to give us love and joy. Christmas is celebrated by many as just a distraction from their troubles. Christmas, as celebrated by Christians, is a celebration of victory in the work of God. Jesus came not to distract us, but to deliver us. But first, we have to talk about darkness. If you've noticed in the sermon outline sheet, I only really have two bullet points, two headings. I normally have three, but these are quite full. They'll they'll do just fine. First, we want to talk about the darkness and then talk about the deliverer. We want to talk about the darkness and then the deliverer. And it it seems uh, a little unpleasant sometimes to talk about the darkness. We'd rather just focus on baby Jesus in the manger. During Advent, I had started reading for my own devotional life. I was spurred on by another pastor to pick up uh, Athanasius's uh, wonderful little work, one of the most profound theological writings in the earliest centuries on the Incarnation. And it's not just about the manger, but it's about the whole of the Christian life in just a few pages. And he started talking about the darkness and sin in the world. And this is what he said when he started with that, even though he would rather be talking just about baby Jesus. So uh, 1,800 years ago or so, this is what he said. You may be wondering why we are discussing the origin of men when we set out to talk about the word becoming man. The former subject is relevant to the latter for this reason. It is our sorry case that caused the word to come down. Our transgression that called out his love for us so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It is we who were the cause of his taking human form and for our salvation that in his great love he was both born and manifested in a human body. So we have to start here with our sorry case, according to Athanasius. Um, When did this darkness begin? When did this spiritual problem come? Well, it came in the book of Genesis in the earliest chapters. That's when we read that the lights went out. You remember how creation started in the beginning. The earth was without form and it was void and darkness was upon the face of the earth. That's just language for saying there was nothing. And then God said those wonderful words and by the power of God's mouth his declaration he said let there be light and his creation was beautiful and good but in the midst of that creation man and woman who created in his image sinned and rebelled and the lights went out Adam and Eve acted in disobedience to the clear command of God they broke God's law and Adam and Eve's sin is transmitted to every other human being born on the planet So we're born with that sin nature, the sin problem, and the spiritual darkness it brings. But even if you know the Genesis story, 
even in the midst of God pronouncing judgment uh, first on the serpent, then on Adam and Eve. And Adam really gets the brunt of it. In the midst of those words, God turned on, can I call it a gospel nightlight? Just that little bit of light to say that the darkness will not win. The darkness that has fallen today is not the final word. So in Genesis 3.15, he speaks of one who would come and crush the serpent's head. One born to a woman who would undo the curse. I love the Christmas carol that says that uh, Christ came uh, to change the world far as the curse is found. A lot of the good Christmas carols and hymns have good theology in them. I hope that triggers you when you hear that. But yes, we live in a dark world. Uh, The lights went out and they've been out spiritually. Even in the midst of July and the sunny, sunny summer months, we're talking about spiritual darkness that falls. And with it comes gloom and pain in the dark fallen world. It's not just spiritual ignorance. And I don't know who coined the phrase, ignorance is bliss. Just a quick heads up, it's not. Ignorance is not bliss. I know when I try to text my children, where are you? It's been an hour. You haven't texted me back. I don't panic. I know they will. I'd like to know. Ignorance isn't, isn't uh, bliss. What we're talking about with this darkened world is a world that experiences pain and trouble. Disease comes. And what else came with the fall into sin? Death. The world... It's still the world God made, but it's broken. It's under a burden. Even creation groans to be out from under it. In worship earlier, we read, or Brian read from Isaiah chapter 9, and in it is one of the most hopeful verses of the whole Old Testament. It's one of my favorite, Isaiah 9-2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I'm going to talk about the darkness in a minute, but let me just remind you, that is talking in the prophetic voice. Isaiah says, they have seen a great light, and that was long before Jesus was born. Because it was so certain, the prophet spoke in the past tense. And the earlier translation brought it into the present and future tense because it's prophetic But it's okay to have it in the past tense. Isaiah was that confident speaking for the spirit of God. But he he acknowledged that the people were walking in darkness. That's hard to do. We can hurt ourselves. And it was a deep darkness. The Bible doubles up words when it needs to intensify a reality. And when it wants to get to the most intense, it triples the words, right? You may have heard God is holy Holy, holy. This was darkness, this spiritual trouble, the plight of the world. And it was deep darkness. Earlier in Isaiah 9 verse 1, it talked about, uh, they used the words gloom. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. Spiritual darkness is unpleasant. We who 
new time in the world before Christ brought us into the kingdom of light and life. If you remember your pre-conversion days, you might resonate with how dark that is. Not getting it when, when you look at your Bible and you're looking for hope and help and you're still lost. It's unpleasant. Gloom is an appropriate word and it's painful. At the very end of Isaiah chapter 8, uh, setting the stage for chapter 9, it mentioned the gloom and distress and darkness, gloom of anguish and thick darkness. The language piles up trying to, to communicate the difficulty we're in, the depth that it is. A dark world isn't just described in the Bible. I don't encourage you to to do Google research on the darkness of the world. But I check, how is the world understanding this phrase if I say it's a dark world? And Google searching that, it's very unpleasant. There's actually a Facebook page for people who enjoy the things of darkness. They're searching and groping for some camaraderie or some sense of meaning in the midst of the darkness, even as they're celebrating things that are not godly. One commenter trying to speak on a a forum to help people. A man from Pakistan posted this wisdom. He says, a dark world means you are feeling darkness. You may have no inspiration for living life. You have no feelings of happiness or liveliness. You're just passing days without motivation and purpose. This means you need to find purpose for your life. And he's going on to to recommend that you seek enlightenment. And he's going to recommend his Eastern religion. This metaphor of darkness is a real thing. It's what your coworkers and your neighbors and some of your relatives are experiencing. This isn't just a history lesson. Jesus has come and this is no longer a problem. It still is a problem for those who haven't come to Jesus. The metaphor of darkness covers all that causes tears and pain. Because we know when we get to the new heavens where there'll be no darkness, there'll be no tears. This dark world is also characterized by spiritual ignorance. Uh, We're talking about the pain and discomfort, but there's this spiritual limiting in the darkness. We can say spiritual blindness, spiritual ignorance. It's not just our experience, but it's our soul that's hindered and captive. Isaiah, who's a great prophet on all these themes, you'll be hearing him a lot today in this Advent season. Isaiah 5, verse 20 The prophet says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What? People are doing that? Yes. In their spiritual ignorance, they don't have a moral compass that works. They don't have a framework for right and wrong. They don't have a relationship with God. It's like the Bible tells us in the days of uh, the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And they're defining things for themselves. There's no consensus because of the spiritual ignorance and blindness. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, a church that got a lot of things right, maybe a church like us, 
believers, he, he reminded them of these important things in Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart, Ephesians 4. The darkness is characterized by spiritual ignorance and spiritual death. One scholar said, both in antiquity and today, people who reject the knowledge of God think of themselves as enlightened. Their ignorance is not a lack of general education. Some are brilliant in their own way. But, this reference says, such brilliance is all wasted and futile in the end when combined with hardness of heart toward the truth of God and the gospel of Christ. Some of the most brilliant minds among men and women scoff at the concept of God, mock the life and teachings of Jesus. They just don't get that. But every once in a while, God will convert and humble some of the wisest people. We can pray for that. But I don't know who Ronald Ayer is, but he said this, you cannot find knowledge by rearranging your ignorance. The world and this darkness and the spiritual ignorance needs some light from outside. It needs light from above. Paul says to the Corinthians, the natural person in this darkness, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is a pretty bleak situation. Uh, One we can't really solve for ourselves. And let me just tell you here with one more point on this first heading. uh, There are blind guides who would pretend to lead you in spiritual darkness. I say this because Jesus often uh, pointed that out in the New Testament when he often was wrestling with the religious leaders of the day who should have known better. Speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, Jesus said, uh, let them alone. They are blind guides. What a concept, blind guides. And he says, and if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit. There are blind guides in our world. They would try to sell you a solution. The world's religions, we can call them false religions. Religion is man's reaching for understanding, man's reaching for enlightenment. And they don't all seem to come to the same conclusions. What we need is some truth from our creator to pierce the darkness and help us. Because our groping, our gathering together to be religious doesn't help. And and talking about false religions seeking enlightenment, there's also the historic secular enlightenment of the 18th century. Uh, don't get me started on that. When, when they realized that religion wasn't helping, a lot of smart guys uh, apparently um, tried to uh, pursue enlightenment. Locke, Voltaire, Rousseau, using reason and science, not religion, to figure things out. And the enlightenment led to a lot of the problems of the modern world. Some good things, but not not that fundamental dismissal 
that we should listen to God. Blind guides abound. So what do we need to deal with this darkness? We need a deliverer. We need a supernatural Messiah. One who would come. So let's talk about the deliverer who has come. The heaven-sent solution for a world lost in darkness. The Son of God. The divine Son of God who came. This wasn't just another prophet or a rabbi who, who figured something out. This is the Son of God himself. Who was born into human flesh through the Virgin Mary. We'll hear more about the incarnation as we go along. But as we speak of the deliverer, let me remind you, this is the one that that God had planned for from the beginning. In eternity past, God had decreed salvation, that he would gather people in through his son, a savior. And through prophets such as Isaiah, he had begun telling about the Messiah. We heard earlier today, Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Boy, one verse. Can that predict all of Christmas? It really goes a long way. Someone's coming. Born to a virgin, so not a normal human being. Someone special. It it, it fits with what we know about Jesus, doesn't it? A virgin birth. God with us. The things that Jesus said defend that identity. He was promised, Isaiah 9, the light that was coming, uh, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. That language says someone's coming. And when he comes, he'll take over what David, King David couldn't do. He'll be in the line of David. He will rule his people, but it won't be from a physical throne in a physical Jerusalem. It will be as head of the church, the body of Christ that he will rule. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, uh, broke out with prophecy uh, about his son being born. He was very happy a son was born. And uh, in addition to saying things about what John the Baptist would do, Zechariah said something about the coming Messiah whom John the Baptist pointed to. So in the end of Luke chapter 1, I love what he says because it fits our topic today so well. Again, he starts with John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. He breaks into the metaphors of light, into darkness. The sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He saw the coming together of the promises to deal with the problem of darkness and the Messiah being like the sunrise. How stirring, how true. When Jesus walked this earth, there was a brightness and a sense of authority and revelation that Everybody notice, who is this? He teaches with such authority. What was promised was delivered. Uh, The old preacher and hymn writer John Newton 
in volume four of his works, he has like 50 sermons on all the Bible passages that Handel used when he wrote his oratorio, The Messiah. So unto us a child is good. There's a sermon on all those phrases. And he has a sermon on Isaiah 60, the verses we're looking at and the topics of light. And John Newton reflected about those Old Testament believers waiting for that sunrise. He said, Messiah was below the horizon to the Old Testament people. But the sun arose and the shadows vanished when the Son of God incarnate dwelt and conversed with men, honored his temple with his personal presence, and superseded all the Levitical sacrifices by the one offering of himself upon the cross. He brought together all sorts of promises from the Old Testament and fulfilled them to become the light of life, a deliverer. We say Jesus is the light of life. That's the language used in describing the incarnation, the incarnation of the light of life. And the word incarnation, boys and girls, it's kind of a big church word, right? It just means becoming flesh. So if I have an idea and I put it down on paper, it's becoming more reality. And if I take the paper and actually make a clay model, some, an idea is becoming reality. The concept of, of incarnation is God taking on flesh so that Jesus is both the eternal son of God, equal with the father and human. And it describes, it's being described in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can look at these verses. John 1, just a couple verses. This incarnation, this totally unique person. John chapter 1, the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, and this is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So the person we're talking about is God, fully God. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then dropping down to verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The coming of Christ is described as the incarnation of light, the light of life itself. So Jesus is the perfect deliverer from this darkness we've been experiencing the incarnation of light, God, man, Savior. And it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus says he is the light of the world. John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus continues to be the light of the world, even though he physically ascended and left this world. He is at work through his church, and in the last day, we'll all be gathered round him again. And do you know what it says? This is just a little extraneous part. What it says in the book of Revelation, when we all get there and when time is done and we're gathered in glory and Jesus is there, listen to one of the concepts that describes Jesus in heaven in the end from Revelation 21. 
And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. The work that Jesus began to push back the darkness when he was born that night when the angels sang, it will continue until darkness shall be no more. And one of the beautiful things about heaven is the sun, the light, the life that God imparts to all who are there. We cannot fathom the glory, but it begins with this baby, the promised one being born as John describes him. He is the light of the world. Now what do we mean when we say he is the light of the world and how does he help dispel the darkness? Two quick subpoints here that we should mention. Uh, Jesus delivers us from our darkness. He unravels that ignorance. He brings understanding in two ways primarily. He makes the Father known through his life and teaching. And then he confirms his life and teaching through the miraculous signs and wonders. The teaching and the doing of Jesus. Doesn't that describe most of what we read about him in the Gospels? He's always teaching, he's always doing. And all of it to make the Father known. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And, Jesus said, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is the linchpin of dispelling our ignorance about our creator, our, our true identity, our needs, our future, our only hope. All that information entrusted to Jesus and Jesus came. And he spoke, and he taught, and he made the Father known. He says, I don't speak on my own authority. I just speak what the Father wants me to tell everyone. And when he, some of the things Jesus was saying was hard, when he said God's going to deliver by way of the cross, some of the disciples didn't like that. Jesus said, you're going to leave. And they said, Lord, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. That's how Jesus battles the darkness with the truth about God, about his mission and the salvation he brings. And he backs up all that teaching with his powerful miracles and signs. I know we're studying the Gospel of Luke normally. We'll get back to that in January. We're about almost halfway through. And the Gospel of John was written in particular to prove the case that Jesus is who he says he is. In the Gospel of John, he's specifically organized seven signs Jesus performed to fulfill Scripture, to make his case that he's the divine Son of God, the Savior. I hope you've studied those seven signs in the Gospel of John. And it goes along with the seven I am sayings that John gathered in his Gospel. I'm so thankful we have four different pictures of Christ. John is written perhaps for the philosophy student, for the person who is coming 
uh, out of the world to consider who Christ is, has no church or religious background. And, and John just connects with people presenting Christ, his claims and his signs. And we know the results of the ministry of Jesus, don't we? All the gospels say something like this. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus' ministry and life was fruitful when he was among us, and it continues through the hands of his people who pass on the good news to others. So Jesus is the light of the world. He's dispelling the ignorance, and that's the key to dispelling the darkness and getting rid of that tearful experience of a broken world. I know it takes time to find Jesus and to understand his teachings. Even one of the apostles, a guy named Philip, once said, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Um, We know Jesus had a great deal of patience, um, but this is how he answered. He He said to him, have I been with you so long and still you don't know me, Philip? If you've been getting to know me, you know God the Father. Maybe there was a pause and Jesus continues, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus' message, the outsider to come and lead those groping about in darkness. So he doesn't just bring us that information. I'm still ignorant, I'm still dead in my trespasses and sins. What we also see is that his message imparts life. He doesn't just bring us information, oh, let's think about that, but his message actually brings as John Newton says, a marvelous uh, efficacy in turning sinners into saints. It brings the very change we need. The message has power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's all of us. That was Paul's experience. Do you remember Paul when... uh, Uh, In his previous life, he was a Pharisee. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was going around uh, trying to arrest Christians and put an end to this nonsense, these Christians, such a bother. And one day God meets him. Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. I don't know if you know his, his conversion story. He tells it a little bit in Acts chapter 26 when he's preaching. He, he gets personal and he tells the story. Uh, He was faced with the light. Here's the story. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goat. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to these things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The very words of Jesus open eyes. The very gospel of Jesus changes hard, sinful hearts. The message of Jesus brings new birth when the Spirit blesses with conversion. The gospel itself brings life. That was Paul's experience. And then Jesus told Paul, Saul, I'm going to have you tell others. And that's how Paul proceeded. When he wrote to the Corinthians, Paul said one line that captures this experience. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what God does. He shines in hearts to make us new, to forgive us and to bring us the new birth. In closing, just two thoughts. This is such a grand topic at the heart of the Bible and the gospel. And and I can't wait to talk about the other ways in which Jesus delivers. Oh, he delivers. Two things we don't want to forget today. This light, this life-changing light still shines. And if someone doesn't feel that you're yet in the light of life, if you're searching and seeking and you see your neighbors lighting up their yards in their house, but you want something more, you want your spiritual darkness to be dismissed, turn to Christ and turn to his word. Consider his offer. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Pray with the psalmist. Psalm 43, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Lord, send light. You can pray that and he will. He will. The second closing word is for all of us who already walk in the light, for the born again Christians that know these things and cherish these things. Do you remember the passage? From Isaiah, it didn't just say a light was shining on us. It said, arise, shine. There's a command connected with this. If Christ has come and shone in your heart and lightened your life, you need to do some shining. You need to be delegates of the deliverer. Do you like that? You need to be delegates of the deliverer. He's delegated us. He's commissioned us. Go make disciples. Spread a little light. The light of the gospel. This is a season of opportunity for us. Is it not? Jesus said explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, says Jesus, let your light shine before others. 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's a big job. But God will help us. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I hope we all do. We once walked in darkness. We walk so no longer. Call to those to join you, those who don't know the Lord. And may he bless our efforts. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this topic today about darkness and light and how we see the Lord Jesus at the center of it all. We thank you for his coming for his words, his life and deeds, his death and his resurrection, his pouring out of the Spirit, for opening our eyes. And Father, we thank you that the light still shines. Every manger scene, every Christmas card, every greeting has the potential to point to the child who was born, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may many come to believe And step into the light. Do that work we pray. And may we play our part with your help. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.